Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful sunshine outside. We thank you for the cooler temperatures, those of us who, who like those things. Um, but we thank you that you uh, give us seasons, that you change um, the seasons. And uh, so we just praise you for all of your goodness and the ways that you um, show that to us. And so I just ask that this morning, as we come to your word, you would um, open your word to us, that we would open our hearts and minds to you to be changed and to be made more like you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we are going to read, um, Just to, we'll start off by reading uh, verses 1 through 8 in chapter 12 of Matthew. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that in, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So, um, what heinous crime... Did the, were the disciples committing that the Pharisees would call them out? Okay. Well, what were they doing? What, they were eating. What's that? Harvesting. They were working. They were, they were doing bad things. They were breaking the Sabbath, but according to the, the rules here. They were reaping. They were threshing. They were winnowing. They were, so they were picking them off. That's work. They were separating the wheat from the chaff, that's um, threshing, and then probably blowing away the chaff, and that's winnowing. So they were working. They were doing, they were doing horrible, terrible things. Um, could you harvest your field on the Sabbath? No. According to the law, no, you weren't supposed to. That is work. What kind of work? Physical, manual labor. What's that? Agriculture. What's the what's the intent of it? Yeah, it's it's gainful work. It's to make a living. It's to be able to produce this crop and be able to sell some of it, maybe, and and have it stored away, that kind of thing. Um, it is important to clarify that what they were doing would have not have been considered stealing. Um, the law is very clear that if you're you know, walking through somebody's field and there's apples on the tree or an orange on the tree, you can pick one and eat it without any negative consequence. Now, if you go harvest a tree of apples or oranges from your neighbor's, you know, tree without asking him, that's against the law. That would, that would be stealing. But if you're walking through and you grab a little something and, you know, you're going to, um, even if it's, considered kind of a meal, if it's one meal, it's, it's not a big deal. So they weren't stealing. Um, were they harvesting? Sort of. Were they threshing? Sort of. Were they winnowing? Sort of. 
So technically all these things are true. What's the difference between harvesting your land and picking some grain and eating it? The amount, but what's the intent? Yeah, gain. So one is I'm, I'm trying to you know, provide for my family for the year. I'm trying to do these things versus just, I just need a meal right now. That's all, that's all I'm after. Right. 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 But even the exertion thing, Jesus is going to deal with that because he's going to talk later about if your sheep falls in, the, in a pit and you get it out. That takes some effort to get a sheep out of a pit, I'm assuming. I haven't ever done it, but you know, sheep being as brilliant as they are, I'm sure they would cooperate. Um, so what's it come down to? It comes down to whose rules were they breaking? Yeah, they were, they were, they were breaking the Pharisees' rules. This was not God's law that they were breaking. They were breaking, we, we put in these extra rules to make sure that you understand what you have to do to make sure you're not breaking the law. So they were breaking the Pharisees' laws. So in verse 3, Jesus says to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his, he, him and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Haven't you seen that? Well, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 21 where we find that. First Samuel 21 verses 1 through 6. Then it should be familiar, I would imagine, uh, David's running away from Saul. Saul's angry and um, as, as typical it seems like. And so David's running away. And then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Meaning basically the army. David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us, as previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy. It was an ordinary journey. Now, uh, how much more then today with their uh, will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Um, so we won't read the verse, but, but part of the law said you're supposed to put fresh bread um, before the presence of the Lord. Um, and it was only supposed to be eaten by the priest. Jesus indicates that um, here. So what made David feel... He could take the consecrated bread without condemnation. It's not so much different than what these disciples are doing. They have a need. They're hungry. And so David says, I've got a need. I need bread. I need something to sustain me. So he asks for the bread. What do you think gave Ahimelech, 
What made Ahimelech think that he could give the bread to David? What would, he, what would make him think he could get away with breaking the law by allowing this? Because David wasn't unclean. Okay. He wasn't unclean. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, David's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm pure and, and, and everything's okay that way. But, right, but the law says supposed to be for the priest to eat. I think it comes down to compassion. I think it comes down to seeing the need of another person and responding to, it, to that with what you have available. It's not complicated. And it, it wasn't, you know, we, we tend to make it more complicated. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the priest's own compassion, but apparently he was more afraid. It seems like he was more afraid of David doing something against him than he was that the Lord would judge him for it. Because he's a little bit hesitant, but not, we don't see him being, you know, no, you really shouldn't do this. Um, it seems that both he and David were convinced of the compassion of the Lord. That he would see this as there's a need, there's something here to meet the need, meet the need. Does that make sense? Um, that the Lord would forgive this breaking of the law to take care of a greater need. It's interesting to me that if we didn't have this New Testament passage, um, we might not be too sure how the Lord viewed those actions, right? If we didn't have Jesus saying this was okay, we might be going, I don't know if that was really okay or not, or if the Lord just overlooked it, right? Um, so then verse 5, Jesus says, or have, you ha or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Well, this seems kind of obvious. Why do we assume the Pharisees didn't have an issue with the priests serving or working on the Sabbath? They were doing more than that, though. They were butchering animals. I mean, this is work. Right. I mean, they were doing a lot of stuff. And it didn't matter whether it was the Sabbath or not. They were working. So why is that? Doesn't seem to be on the Pharisees' radar. They're not at the temple going, hey, you guys shouldn't be working. Right. They're serving the Lord. Um. They were obeying God's direction to them. Do we see a contradiction here? Where's the contradiction? Yeah. The, the, the contradiction is with the Pharisees' understanding. Their understanding and their interpretation and their reinterpretation, really, of the law is, what, uh, is what's at issue. But it doesn't seem to bother them, right? 
I mean, they're, they're, they're not, again, they're not at the temple saying, priests, you shouldn't be doing the things you're doing um, because God commanded them to be doing those things. But they don't seem to see the, the incongruity between what they're saying in their laws, the laws that they've created. Um, so we can really only say that God's laws are contradictory if we look at them through the lens of the Pharisees or through the eyes of us as humans, where we see, well, they're, they're you know, what God, God said these two different things and they seem to be at odds. Um, yeah. What's that? Who set the Pharisees up as the interpreter? Well, they did. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the way it is. Right. I mean, they, they. I don't know the history of how the Pharisees came to be. I, I've never really studied that or looked at that. But clearly, they were, they were the people in control at this time, right? Um, if somebody knows and wants to speak up about what, how they came into being, that I'd. Be happy to hear it, but um, but yeah, they they've set up these rules and these laws, and of course, we see we see throughout the the New Testament that they did these things because it kept them in power. Um, it's not so different than today, with people making up rules and laws and going, well, you have to do this and you have to do that, and um, and they're based in fear. And these laws that they had were certainly based in fear. If you, we saw it with the, the man born blind. If, you know, if people acknowledged Jesus, they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. You know, well, that's a big deal when you're living in Israel. Um, so, so the problem is the Pharisees' understanding. Because can God contradict himself? No. If we see an apparent contradiction uh, in God's word, what questions should we be asked? Should we be asking? What's wrong with my understanding of the scripture? Right? Because it means that there's probably something that I've... We all have our... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Our biases and our... You know, we, we have our understanding that we've listened to throughout our growing up and there's things that we take as this is gospel truth that if we really search it out we go oh that I, I didn't hear that correctly or somebody taught me wrong or whatever and sometimes we hang on to those for a while because that's just what we know um, and so sometimes we have to kind of work through those and go, okay, wait a second. Now, now if I look at God's word and I try to not bring my biases to it, but I look at God's word honestly, then I see how these things fit together. And sometimes we still don't see how they fit together. And God's like, you don't need to worry about that right now. I'll get, that, get to that later or you'll find out when you get to heaven. But um, if we see a contradiction, it's our problem, not God's word problem. It's not his problem, it's ours. Um, so Jesus points out that there is either a contradiction in God's law or there's a contradiction in the Pharisees' law that they've added, that they've created. Um, and then verse 6, he says, But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. So what is Jesus referring to when he says this? Himself. Himself. 
And I think also when you, when you read through um, the New Testament, I did this, did this a few years ago. I think it was as I was looking at and studying the end of chapter 6 that we, uh, of Matthew that we dealt with a while back where it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I was like, so what is his kingdom? And I went through the Gospels and everywhere I saw the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom, you know, uh, the kingdom, I highlighted it. And so if you go through, it's like, oh, there's all these places. And so I think, I think it's, yes, it's Jesus, but it's, it's his, the fact that he is here. This is, this is significant. Um, something greater than the temple of, is here. The kingdom of God is here. Um, God has come to earth. He has established his kingdom in the hearts of his people. Jesus is talking about heart change here. Yes, he is here. He's here. Why? Because we need something different. The law hasn't gotten it done. Um, we need a heart change. Um, I think I've got this one. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He is the something that is greater. He will bring about change in his people. We see it in the disciples, in the changes that came about from, from what we see in the Gospels. Um, the, you know, they're, they're not, in many ways, a lot different than any of the other people walking, um, even the Pharisees and stuff, and some of their judgments of people. Um, we saw it with the man born blind. Why is he born blind? Who, who sinned, him or his parents? You know, th those kind of things. And then Pentecost happens, and we see a change. We see hearts that are changed because now they have not just Christ walking with them, they have Christ in them, and they have that changed heart. Um, so he is the something that is greater. He will bring about change in his people. Um, and we see it within our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see a difference in people. We see it in ourselves when we... When we, uh, especially if you're older and you, you know, come to the Lord later in life, you go, wow, the difference. I see, I see the difference. Um, and when we don't see it in someone who calls himself a Christian, it causes us to question his salva salvation because we know Christ changes hearts. And it may just be that, yeah, they're living in the flesh and they may still be saved, but it makes us wonder because we don't see the change, and Christ changes people. Um, Jeremiah 9, 23-24, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Change, heart change, that we know the Lord in a way that we didn't before. Um, so now twice Jesus has asked the Pharisees, have you not read? Which is kind of a dig, Right? You guys, you guys have all this knowledge. You're supposed to be well, you know, um, 
You're supposed to understand the, the word. You, you're, you're the teachers of the law. You're all these different things. Um, what's he getting at when he asks that? When he says, have you not read, what's he really asking them? Right. I know you've read it, but do you understand it? It's like the difference between hearing and listening. Just because my auditory senses took something in doesn't mean that I really heard what you said. Heather can talk to me and go, you know, tell me whatever, and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, you know, an hour later, she's like, well, didn't you hear what I said? Yeah, of course I did, you know. But we don't always really listen. We hear, we hear words, but, and that's why sometimes they say, you know, the best way to, to prove that you listen is to repeat back to somebody what they just said. Because if you can repeat, repeat it back to them, and they go, yes, that's what I said, then you did hear them. If you repeat it back and they go, that's not at all what I said, then you didn't really hear them. So these guys had read the word. They could probably quote you a lot of the words, but they didn't hear the heart. They didn't hear God's heart in the words that he spoke. Right, they didn't comprehend them. They, they, they took them in, and there's a lot of people these days that are the same way, that you, know, you may go to a college and go to a religion class and they may talk about the Bible and there may be somebody that's read through the Bible multiple times. But if they don't have the Spirit of God illuminating their heart, it's just a bunch of words. Do you think he's pointing out that they're ignoring certain passages? Like, they didn't bring up that the priests right. work on the Sabbath. Yeah, I mean, they're... It's not so different than people who cherry-pick verses today, right? So they're going, no, see this? It says right here, you know, whatever. And, and then it's like, well, okay, but what about the parts where God shows us compassion? What about verses where he says, I care more about compassion than I do? Well, you know, they, don't, they skim over that. You know, they ignore that part. And so have you not read means... Are you really paying attention to God's heart, not just to what you want it to say? Um, so Jesus' point here seems to be if the priest can work on the Sabbath for the sake of serving in the temple because of the importance of the temple and uh, what takes place there, how much more can Jesus himself do what is compassionate? and focused on helping and serving others on the Sabbath. Isn't that more important? And we're going to kind of come to more of that story as we, as we get through the, the, the rest of what we're covering here. But it's that same idea, because they've been attacking him for what he does on the Sabbath constantly, you know, because he's working on the Sabbath. Um, so then verse 7, But if you had known what this means... I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. So then after having said, um, have you not read, then he says, but if you had known, if you had known, if you had bothered to take the time to figure out what this means. And I have to stop here and acknowledge that one of the reasons that I enjoy 
reading the questions um, in the Gospels is I, I really enjoy hearing Jesus' questions of people. But my pride goes, yeah, get them, you know, and I want to get them, you know. Um, and so I have to confess that, that my motivation for enjoying the questions isn't always as pure as the driven snow as I'd like to believe it is. Um, and that is one of the reasons that sometimes I'm like, yeah, I like to, I like to see him win the arguments and how he gets his point across. Um, but his motivation is perfect. Mine essentially never is. And so I get, I get a little convicted. As I was reading through this passage this week, I got convicted like, oh yeah, that, that is part of why I sometimes enjoy this. So I have to be careful about that. What is our motivation for winning spiritual arguments? Pride, Pride ego. It's not just that, hopefully. Hopefully it's win them over. Right. I mean, the, the idea is that, yes, we're... if. If we're not having this conversation and I'm not being honest about this, then we go, well, I want to win them to Christ. You know, well, yeah, that motivation is in there, but also there's the, I like to be right and I like to win the argument. Um, so sometimes I just want to demonstrate to God and to others what impressive knowledge I have of him and his word. Um, so I have to be careful about that. What was Jesus' motivation for winning the argument? Win him over. Win, it, win him over. Well, I think there's a chastisement in there. Okay. Yeah. It depends on who he's talking to. Right. Yeah. His, his, we see um, in the way that he talks to people, it's not the same. What's different? How does he... Right. He does know their hearts, and he sees how these people are reacting and responding, and he sees the pride, and the pride is like, okay, if you want to do that, I'm, I'm going to take on your pride. To the humble, to the lowly, yeah, Heather? I think he wants to represent the Lord right, too. He wants them to know God is correctly. And I right. From a heart of compassion, that yeah, that that I that my hope is that you will see who Christ really is, and not who you've made him out to be, and not who I contend to make him out to be as well, you know. But yeah, they they um, his his motivation is changing hearts, and sometimes you know some of these people need to be slapped upside the head with a two by four, because they're just so stubborn and they're you know, in their ego, their, their, all that. Others, he recognizes soft hearts, and he's, he's drawing them. Um, Jesus didn't need to win the, the argument to feel better about himself. Sometimes that's our motivation. Um, he didn't need to demonstrate that he had a greater understanding, that he was smarter than everybody else in the room. You don't really see him doing that I mean, he does that with the, with the Pharisees sometimes, just seems kind of like, come on, wake up. But it wasn't for his ego. He had no ego. Um, he wanted to see hearts change, and he still does. He's not concerned with us winning arguments. He is concerned with changed hearts. 
And this gets to the heart of what he shared. I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. I'm not impressed by what you do. I'm impressed when you show how your heart has been changed and how your heart reflects my own. That's what he's impressed by. Um, <coughs> turn over to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1, starting in verse 11. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you, when you come to appear before me, who requires, of you, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn, in the solemn, and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from your sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Orphan, Plead for the widow. We see God's heart. It's not about sacrifices. It's not about the things that we can do to impress him by bringing things to him. It's how we treat others. Um, Got a quote from Wearsby. Um, Any religious law that is contrary to mercy and the care of nature should be looked on with suspicion. God wants mercy, not religious sacrifice. He wants love, not legalism. The, the Pharisees who sacrificed to obey their Sabbath laws thought they were serving God. When they accused Christ and his disciples, they thought they were defending God. How like religious legalists today. Is it easy to keep a right balance of mercy or compassion? It's hard, isn't it? How many here are quick to express compassion? I'm not putting up my hand because I am one. I know there are some here who are quick to, yeah, you, you've just got soft hearts, right? How many of you are not that? I'm putting my hand up because I am that. Um, some of us are, are just soft about things toward people, and some of us are more skeptical, and we tend to um, withhold compassion. What's the correct posture? Is there one correct posture? Balance. Balance. What's that look like? Jesus. Exactly. When I am submitted to Christ, I have it in balance. When I'm not, when I'm, when I'm fu functioning in my flesh, I'm going to do what's natural to me, whether it's withhold or whether it's give too much. But as I am listening to him, then I get it right. But it's only those times, I think, that I really get it right. I, I, we tend to miss it. Well, now. Mm -hmm. I'm slow for me to 
No, no, you're not. Don't don't lie to me. <laughs> Possibly. Their pride that said, um, you shouldn't be doing this. Right. Because you think all of us aren't in that same boat. Right. So, and, and how many times we read in scripture that the Lord hates pride. Mm -hmm. So they're like, look at me. I'm not eating. Right. You know, somehow you're letting that down. And, and so maybe it's, it, he's also pointing out to compassion for those who are maybe perhaps hungrier than you and are more desperate for food, that there's that compassion. But Right. Yeah, I, I, I see. I see your point that Jesus could be saying, "Why don't you pick a head of grain and eat it?" Well, your pride's what keeping you from it, you know, because it's not it's not God who's telling you don't eat the grain. You're telling yourself and you're telling others, and that's what you know. When Jesus says, "Woe to you, Pharisees!" You put these heavy burdens on people, you're not even willing to lift them and, you know, you're not helping them at all. So, yeah, they were, they were putting these burdens on people so that they could, in their pride, say, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Um, with, I'm looking at the verses up there, and one, one occurs to me that may be also included. Once mercy, not religious sacrifice. Once love, not legalism. Once relationship... <clears throat> Not ritual. Okay. So yeah. does God really need to be defended by us? No, he doesn't. Absolutely not. Does not need to be defended by us. Um, I'm going to try to get through all of this that I have. We'll see how that goes. Um, so clearly Jesus wants us inclined toward compassion. Um, we already said he is judgmental toward the proud. Um, that's who he condemns. Um, the arrogant who acted as they knew, um, he's quick to show compassion to the lowly, the outcasts, the downtrodden, the orphan, the widow, those who were being held down and were considered as throwaways. He was quick to, to compassion toward those. Um, how often do we condemn the innocent to make sure our laws are followed? That, that's where legalism comes in. We go, well, that, that's not okay, and so you can't be doing that. Uh, verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Is that all he's Lord of? <laughs> no, he's Lord. He's king over all the law. Why? It's his law, right? They're his words. Um, real quickly, when I was little, I remember playing a game um, that we had a board game, and I was little, and I remember I'd seen my, like my older siblings and my parents maybe playing this game, and I had some friends over, and they were like, hey, let's play a board game, whatever, okay. Hey, how about this one? Okay, we'll pull that out. Well, I didn't really know the rules, you know, um, and they didn't either, and we didn't really feel like reading the rules, so we just started playing this game, and we're having fun doing whatever. And my brother walks by, and he's like, why aren't you using this? How do you, you know, it's like, well, we didn't really want to do that. How do you play the game without it? 
we're just fine, leave us alone, you know, was kind of the, the way we were with that. And, and the same is true if you're playing a game and somebody comes along and goes, wait a second, you're not really following the rules. Your tendency is like, okay, go away, leave me alone. I'm just fine. We're having fun, you know. If that same person walks up and says, here's the rule book, and by the way, this is my name on here. I wrote the rule book. I, I made up the game, you know. You might want to listen to that person, right? It's like, oh, well, that, that's a little different than just saying, you know, you're not playing it right. This is the person who actually came up with the game. Maybe I should listen to him. That's Jesus and the law. He wrote it. He gets to interpret what it means. We don't get to decide. He does. And that's what he says to the Pharisees. He's telling them, I have this authority because I wrote the book. I was there at the beginning. Your supposed superiority will do you no good. It will only bring you judgment. All right, so now in the next five minutes, we're going to see if we can finish this, the last five verses or whatever. So verse 9, departing from, the, from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he will not take a hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable than is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. So the first thing is, this looks like a setup. You know, normally when we see Jesus heal on the Sabbath, he just picks somebody out and says, I'm going to heal him. This time the Pharisees go, is it, is it legal? Here's a guy. Is this legal? Um, and Jesus makes the point. He tells in no uncertain language that compassion is always lawful. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Compassion is always lawful. And again, we remember he wrote the book. He knows. If you'd pull your sheep out of the out of a pit on, on the Sabbath, um, the best we could argue is that you were doing it to show compassion to the sheep, but we would also know that if you're a guy who keeps sheep, there's also some benefit for you that you really don't want the sheep to die or to be damaged or whatever, so there's something in it for you, and you do that on the Sabbath. Um, so if you would do that, why should Jesus not set a man free of an ailment or disability on the Sabbath? Why should we not do the, do the more compassionate thing on any day? Jesus did the more compassionate thing to this man who they only saw as a pawn, someone to try to use to trap Jesus. That was all they saw in this man. They showed no concern. They showed no joy for this man whose hand had been restored. They're, Next thought, as soon as this man is healed, is how can we destroy Jesus, this guy who just healed this guy? Compassion was nowhere on their radar. If we ever see people only as pawns to help us win an argument or to help us to get what we want, to help bolster, bolster our own legalism, we are Pharisees. What is the real point of the Sabbath? Is it to keep the law? Is it to cross all the T's and dot all the I's? Why did God establish the Sabbath? So is it so he'd have an excuse to be angry with us? 
Was it not so that we would recognize that he is the provider? We don't need to work ourselves to to death in order to get ahead. We don't need to work seven days a week. We need to rest, not so much for the sake of rest itself, but what it requires of us. To rest from work requires that we trust the Lord that he will take care of us. Who is the provider? Does God care if we prepare a little grain on the Sabbath to eat? No. Are we held to the same standard of keeping the Sabbath as the Jews were? Yes and no. No, we are not required to rest on Saturdays. So what is the yes? What was the Sabbath supposed to be for them? We are to walk by faith the same as they were supposed to walk by faith. Not focusing on getting more, not chasing wealth, but trusting in Jesus, who is our rest. He is our Sabbath rest. We have the privilege, the privilege of resting in Him every day, not just Saturday. He is our provider. He is our director. He is the one who is the lamp to our feet and light to our path. He is our director. We can rest in that. He is our will. He is our motivation. In him we move and breathe and have our being. He is all that for us. We don't need to get into discussions about whether Saturday or Sunday is the correct day to observe the Sabbath. Every day should be a Sabbath Every day should be a resting in Christ. Regardless of what work we are doing or not doing, let us be doing whatever we are doing at the direction of our Lord and King. And then we'll be doing the right thing on the right day. We'll be certain we're following His law when we walk with Him. Let us demonstrate confidence in Him that He will provide. Let us cease striving. Cease striving. Let let us rest in Him. All right. We're out of time, essentially, but if any has it, anybody has any last thought, question, comment? No? All right. Depend. What's that? Depend. Depend. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Jay, will you pray for us? Thank you.